The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Most of you know that here at Stone Oak Bible, we love, we love, we love church planting. And what that means is is we love seeing gospel-centered churches started, not just our own, but we love seeing churches started all throughout our city and world. And uh, as a church, we have always been a part of starting other churches. We've had the great privilege of starting, um, starting one already. We've been a part of several others. And um, this morning, we get a privilege of praying for one that is about to begin. Um, he has preached for us before, actually, Pastor Charles, and um, his, his church is called One Community Church. They have been doing the work to get ready to start, and starting a church is hard. It's challenging. Starting a church during COVID-19, whoo, he's been doing the work. And you just got to be honest, none of it looked the way he was planning. But the gospel is still true, and the work is still getting done for the glory of God. And so they start up. Their first gathering is next Sunday. So I thought it would be great for us to take a moment just before we get into the word to lift up a sister church that is about to proclaim the gospel in a completely different side of town. They're over by, on the far east side of the city. So they're about to proclaim the gospel to a community we can't reach. Let's pray God uses them, church. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you right now and we ask that you go before one community church. That you go before their, their people, their leaders, that you would use them to proclaim the gospel, that you would allow them to make disciples that make disciples. Would you allow them to just reach into the community so that more will see the beauty of Jesus Christ in the good news? God, I pray specifically for Charles and his family. I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. I pray that you would be their rock in the midst of all things uncertain. God, I pray that you would bring revival through this church. I pray that through this church that you would receive all glory for what you're about to do. And God, we give you glory for this sister church that is about to launch God, and we lift them up, we intercede on their behalf. Would you bless them in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. All right, church, I'm so grateful for this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you grab them? And would you open with me to chapter 9 of, uh, of Romans? Um, and while you're finding your place there, church, this morning, I'd like to talk a bit about assumptions, um, our assumptions. What does it mean for us to assume something? An assumption to assume something is to suppose it to be the case without valid proof or evidence. You just assume it. 
It's to suppose it to be the case without reason to suppose. That's an assumption. We assume things all the time, by the way, all the time. Um, And sometimes, if we're honest, those assumptions can get us into some trouble. Um, I, you know, honey, I assumed you were picking up Johnny from school. Sometimes assumptions get us into, into some, some trouble. Um, however, they, they, they get us into trouble because we can start to believe things that we, there's no evidence for us believing. There's, there's nothing that would lead us. They haven't been tested, um, which sometimes, by the way, those assumptions are completely fine. Like, I didn't see any one of you, maybe you did, and I didn't see you get all weirded out about your chair and made sure it held you before you sat down. You assumed that that chair was going to hold you up, right? And that's a, that's a perfectly normal assumption that didn't get you into any trouble. But there are those assumptions that do get you into some trouble that brings some harm. Um, this is true for the small things in our life, like the chairs we sit in. But what we're going to see today is this idea of assumptions Harmful assumptions are true for the big things, relationships, our faith. Um, This morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow this text in Romans 9 to unearth a few assumptions, um, a few untrue assumptions, by the way. In this text, what it's going to do is call them out. It's going to call out our assumptions, and, and, and in my hope as we walk through this is that we're going to be able to identify these assumptions that we have made in our, in our lives and be able to put them down and stop assuming these things. Remember, to assume is to suppose something to be the case without valid or sufficient proof. This morning, I hope that the truth of Scripture, I hope will bring down some of these harmful, and, and I will call them this morning, deadly assumptions. So let me, um, let's read our text together. We're only going to be in a few short verses, uh, verses 6 through 8 of Romans 9. Let me read this uh, for us here. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Okay, church, let's notice the first first verse. The first verse is big, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. That's, that's a huge statement, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. See, in the first nine or the first few verses of chapter nine, Paul has just, if you remembered, cried out over his Jewish brothers and sisters cried out, agonizing over them, saying, if they would only see Jesus, if they would only get it, if they would only understand, if they would only be saved by Jesus. Paul even says, I would give myself for them if it meant that they would know Jesus, if they would believe Jesus. 
Paul even points out in chapter 4, I mean, they had adoption, they had the glory, they had the covenants, they had the giving of law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, even Jesus in the flesh. In other words, they have it all. And as we said last week, if only salvation were by proximity. If only salvation were by proximity, then they would have been in. They would have been all in. If, if salvation were a result of being near to Christ, instead of needing to be in Christ, they would be in because they had it all. Um, I heard a great analogy that I wanted to pass your way. At least I thought it was great. You, you might not. But um, when you think about the Jewish people and Gentiles... Think about it like two people who are watching a foreign film, okay? Watching a, a foreign film. One of these people were given subtitles, while the other was not. You would think that the subtitles, the person given the subtitles, you would think that they would have a better understanding of the, the film that they were watching. You'd think that, that because of the subtitles, they would have an understanding of what is going on in this, in this film. But imagine to your surprise if it wasn't that person, but it was the other person who was watching the film and who understood it, who understood it better than the one with the subtitles. It's not supposed to be that way. That's a bit crazy. I mean, that would be insane. Here's my proposal and the reason I bring this crazy analogy up. Because that's very similar to what was going on in the early church. Very similar um, to what was happening. It, it was like the Jewish people, they had the subtitles. They had the subtitles. They had the framework. They had the practices. They had the law that should have helped the movie makes sense. It should have made sense. It, but in some crazy, strange mystery, it was like the Gentiles were understanding it. It was like they were getting it and they were enjoying the film. How crazy would that be? Well, it might lead us to say, and here's the reason I bring this up, it might lead us to say, well, what good did all those subtitles do? <laughs> I mean... What did it all amount to? What good did all those subtitles really do? Paul, you're saying that they rejected Jesus even though they had all of that. So what benefit did all of those things that should have helped them understand? What benefit did it give them having all those things? The Israelites, they were supposed to be the people of God. They were supposed to be the light for all the nations, but they didn't see and they didn't understand. What does that mean? God, you must have messed something up. God, you must have messed something up. Those subtitles must have been off. God, your promises, they must not have been true or clear. And it is right in this moment of questioning that Paul drops this. It is not as though the word of God has failed. It is not as though the word of God has failed. I believe this brings out kind of a nasty little tendency that we have, all of us have, that, that 
when we fail or when we fall, man, we love to shift the blame to, to anyone else. It wasn't me. It was them. It was their fault. God, it's your fault. Uh, I think about the garden. Do you remember in the garden, the first sin, Adam and Eve, they, they, they sin and God approached, what have you done, Adam? What have you done, Eve? Do you remember what they said? Is the woman you gave me. It was that serpent that you created. It's this shifting of blame. This constant shifting of blame. It's the same tendency that Paul is getting out ahead of right here. It's not that the word of the Lord, the promises of the Lord have failed. It, 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 he's getting out of this tendency to say, it's not my fault. It's not our fault. It must be God. It must be him. Paul says, no, no, we have failed. We have, have failed. God has not failed. His word is true. Let me push this a little bit, a little bit more. Um, have you ever been in a place in your life where you look around and none of it, nothing makes sense? It shouldn't be like this. It was supposed to be different. God, it was supposed to be different. I look at your word and I look at my life. Doesn't make sense. Your word must have failed. We can so easily place our trust in our perception over the eternal truth of God's word. And when our perceptions see a certain way, see a certain thing that's different from God's word, it's easy for us to say, well, then it must have been off. God, your word must have been off. It must not have been fully true. And if you've ever been here, I, I want Paul's words here in the first part of Romans 9, 6 to just speak directly to you, directly to your heart, directly to your soul right here. It is not as though the word of God has failed. Your perceptions, they can fail. In fact, they do often. But God's word does not fail. It has never failed. It cannot fail. And it's right out of this that now Paul's going to make a really scandalous statement. Um, it would have been scandalous for them, but I, I propose, church, that this, I think this is still just as scandalous today as it was for them back then. Paul, um, Paul says this, For not all who have, are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Okay, um, just some context here. Um, Paul is referencing back all the way back to Genesis, where God in his grace and his mercy calls a man named Abram, calls him out, calls him to go, gives him a new name, gives him a promise. He's going to be the father of nations. He's going to be blessed. His people are going to be blessed. They're going to be God's people. He's going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. This was his promise. And through him, by the way, God would eventually bring the Messiah. Now, Abraham was not a perfect man, but God's word says he believed God's word and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
It's the same thing, by the way, that we saw earlier in Romans, as Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith. Same thing. Same thing. This was Abraham. He believed God. Now, fast forward. Fast forward a little bit, and we see Abraham in a different, little different mindset where he's saying, God, did you forget? Did you, uh, when are you going to make good on your promise? Because the time is kind of ticking I am getting old, and it's hard to be the father of nations when I don't have a kid. Sarah's not getting any younger. That's what he says. Don't, don't hate me for that, but that's what the gist of it. Um, so no rush, God, but we're getting old, and this is getting crazy. So what do they do? They take matters into their own hands, and Abraham and Sarah come up with this plan, and they make it happen their way. Abraham takes Hagar, um, Sarah's um, servant, and they have a son named Ishmael. We did it. God, you were late, but we took care of it. You're welcome. And um, so they, they take, not quite. They make a mess, but God is still gracious in the midst of this mess And God reminds Abraham of his promise, and Sarah, in her old age, would indeed have a child, and that child's name would be Isaac. Isaac. So after Isaac was born, God, in his grace, protects Hagar and Ishmael. But it was through Isaac that the promise of God passed. Now, why do I bring all of this up here? Why does Paul bring this up here? Because church, think about this. Paul is making a really profound statement. The promise of God is, not, is based on God and God alone. It's not based on proximity or ethnicity. Paul says, listen, brothers and sisters, just because you are the offspring of Abraham, meaning ethnically Jewish, does not mean that you are the children of the promise because the promise of God is by the will and the grace of God received by faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So Paul says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are children of Abraham, or not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. And then This is why Paul continues in verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Now, there is a lot here. Let's let's do some digging here. Um, And let's talk a bit about some assumptions. Paul just dismantled some. I'm going to bring up three. Three assumptions here that are big, nasty, and deadly. Big, nasty, deadly assumptions, three of them. Um, and I believe that they're also assumptions that we, we tend to have as well. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them all to you up front, and then we're going to walk through them. So here's the assumptions. I'm okay. We are okay. They are okay. Let's get to work on some of these. Assumption number one, I am okay. I'm Okay. I'm okay. I think if you say it enough, you start to believe it more. I'm okay. I'm okay. So as a Jewish man or woman in the first century in the audience to whom Paul wrote, think of the justification that you would have to tell yourself that you are okay. Think of all the reasons that you would have to tell yourself, I am okay. Because 
You're a part of the people of God. You have the law. You have the prophets. You have the promises. You have the Passover. You have the feast. You have the covenants. You have the practices, the customs, the history. You had reason after reason after reason after reason after reason to say, I'm okay. I am okay. At least I am more okay than that guy. I'm okay. I mean, do they have the law? Do they have the customs? Do, do they not eat bacon? No, I don't. I'm okay. But do you hear what was missing from that list that I just rattled off? The only thing that can justify a true faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so listen, church, apart from faith in Jesus, all of the religious practices and devotion, all of the good deeds, all of your best behavior, all of your kindness, take it all. None of that justifies you. None of that justifies you. Apart from faith in Jesus, stop assuming you're okay. Stop assuming that you're okay because you are not. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. And apart from him, Scripture says that on your best days, your best behavior, your nicest deeds, all of that amounts to filthy, stinky rags. Stop assuming you are okay. Stop assuming that you will be okay when you get your act together later. Stop it and come to Jesus. Remember, to assume something is to suppose it to be the case without valid or sufficient proof. I don't think I need to tell you this, but um, I think you know this. I think you feel this, but hear me. You make a really lousy savior. You have no evidence in your life that would tell you, you know, I got this. But yet, we assume. In fact, you know what Paul's already told you in Romans. It says, you are a sinner, you are broken, and you are in need of the grace of God. You are not okay. Come to Jesus. Do not assume. Do not assume that you are okay. Instead, come to Jesus and know the goodness of his grace. Here's the reality. You are not saved by good behavior, by nationality. You are not saved by your ethnicity or biology. You are not saved by your church attendance, even when you come on spring break and spring forward. (laughs) You're not saved by communion. You are not saved by your worship. You are not saved by your involvement in your community group. You are not saved by your generosity, how much you give to the church, how much you give to the poor. You are not saved by those things. Apart from Jesus, do not assume that you are okay because of those things. All those things do is make you slightly better behaved and more religious heathens. All they do. That's all they do. It's Jesus who saves. And don't misunderstand me here. Those are not bad things. They're... They're good things. They're great things. They're just not saving things. They make lousy saviors. And I read a commentator this week. I want to share this with you. Um, he, says it, he says it like this. Um, spiritual kinship, not ethnic origin. 
determined who was a true Israelite. The modern counterpart to this truth is that the blessings of salvation extend only to those who are right with God through genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Stop assuming that you are okay and come to Jesus. Place your trust and your faith in Jesus. I don't want to end here though. Um, because you've probably heard the saying, there's strength in numbers. The first assumption is I am okay, but the second one's even stronger because it's when we come together and we say together, we are okay. We are okay. A Jewish man, Jewish woman in the first century, here's the reality. You did not stand alone. You... We're not alone in thinking that you were okay. You were not alone in thinking that you were okay. You were not the only one telling you that you were okay. We were all around, all of us are around each other just saying you had an entire community telling you that you were okay, reinforcing the assumptions that you have made that you are in fact okay. Church, does that sound familiar? It's one thing to overcome the assumption that I am okay. But wow, church, it is so much more difficult when we have an entire community and people coming together and saying, we're okay. We don't need anything else. We are, we are okay. Let me shift this a little closer to home, make it sting just a little bit. Um, it's especially difficult when this comes from your church community. We're okay. We're just okay. Everyone's okay. Um, in theology, there's, this, there's something that's called the visible and invisible church. And um, have you heard of this, by the way? The Bible talks about this a lot, just not in the, that, those, those words. Um, you see it all throughout the text. In fact, today, our text today is pointing to this. The idea is really simple, that the church is both visible and invisible. Um, in the same way that in our text, Israel is both visible and invisible. Think about it like, um, think about it like this. Um, Paul says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, not all children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So you have this circle, and this circle is Abraham's biological offspring, okay? It's that, it's that circle. But then we have another circle representing the people of promise within that people, these are the descendants of Israel here, and these are the descendants of Israel, to use Paul's words, that are in Isaac. So, so as I said, Abraham has Ishmael and Isaac, as we talked about. Isaac was the heir of the promise. And again, God's promise is not given biologically. It's given sovereignly, like we talked about last, last week. This is true for Israel. But what Paul has just done for Israel is also true for us, church. True for the church today. Not all who attend church are the children of God. So let's take these circles again. Um, 
This is the visible church, this gray circle. These are the people we see with our own eyes. Okay? Visible church. And yet, there is this. There is this invisible church that is a part of the visible church. And these are the people who belong to Jesus and who have responded in faith to Jesus. Okay? You have the visible. You have the invisible. And although we, we have eyes to see this, God has eyes to see this. God has eyes to see this. Um, I had a, that same commentator, I cut him off. I want to finish his, his statement here. He, uh, he says this, listen to this. The visible church includes many who belong to Ishmael. But salvation belongs only to Israelites who belong to the line of Isaac. And then listen to this. God has not turned his back. This is big. God has not turned his back on the nation Israel. He has simply clarified what it means to be a true child of Abraham. That's good. Um, Let's come back to this assumption. It's easy to see here. To be surrounded by many who are saying, we are all okay. We are going to be okay. I mean, look at us. We're the church. We're culturally Christian. We're going to be good. But church, there is no salvation apart from Jesus, and there is no strength in numbers. If we've learned nothing from Babel, there's no strength in numbers. Paul is calling us to drop the assumption that we're okay apart from Jesus and to instead come to Jesus. I think of Jesus' own words in Matthew 7. As a pastor, these words are really difficult. I'm just going to be honest with you because if you go back to those circles, I like to think that the big circle is the little circle. Everyone I see is. Like, that's my heart. Um, But then Jesus' words in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. (sighs) the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, and listen to this, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? In other words, were we not visible? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This text is so hard. Um, It's a heavy text because it shows that on that day, being in close proximity to Christ and his, his people, gathering under the name of Jesus, coming to church and being around churchy things, none of it saves us. None of it saves us. You are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And apart from this, there is no salvation. Just as the Jewish community, our text, like cultural Christianity, we need to drop the assumption that we're all going to be okay. And we need to come to Jesus in faith and in repentance Because salvation is in him and him alone. I am okay. We are okay. Two very deadly assumptions apart from Jesus. But there's one more. 
One more. Let's talk about the final false assumption here, and that is they are okay. Remember, an assumption is to suppose something to be the case without valid or sufficient evidence. Um, For Paul in this text, can we just call it? He was not at all assuming that all of Israel was true Israel. He was not assuming that just because you were born Jewish and ethnically Jewish that you were in Jesus. Paul was not assuming that all of the practices, the keeping of the law, the customs, the close proximity to God's word and God's people, he was not assuming that any of that meant that they were true children of God. He was not just assuming. Instead, what does he say? He says, not all who who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all children of Abraham because they are his offspring. It It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. Paul is pushing against an assumption. Honestly, this one probably hurts the most for me. He's pushing against an assumption that they're all going to be fine. They're all going to be, they're all going to be okay. No matter, no matter who they are, I mean, it's the children of promise, Paul says. Paul was not going to assume that they were fine just because they were close to the gospel. Because they had the law or because of anything else. His responsibility was not to assume, it was to proclaim. I believe this is a deadly assumption that we have today. Like I said, this one stung the most as we look out these doors at our community. We do a lot of assuming, don't we? They're going to be okay. Let me give you an example of what I mean. This, this hit me. I heard a pastor, a missionary, speaking last week, two weeks ago, about sharing the gospel um, to a group of people overseas. And he was talking about an experience where he was sharing the message of Jesus, asking, do you know Jesus? And the response, he, he shared a story of, of a response he got, which is someone who heard him and said, hmm, what was his last name? What's his last name? You know, Jesus, what was his last name? Maybe I saw him last week. I mean, what's his last name? As he shared the story, it just wrecked me because how incredible is that, that there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus or heard the gospel ever, ever. And as they shared the gospel, it was the first time these people had ever heard the name of Jesus. That is awesome, and that's why we still go, and that's why we still translate Bibles, and that's why we still send missionaries out to do the work. That's awesome. But how many of you know that that is not often what we experience outside? When we go outside and we ask, have you heard about Jesus? More often we hear things like, yeah, I used, I used to go to church with my, with my mom, um, we hear things like, I mean, there are churches around. I go occasionally. Uh, my grandmother, she prays for me all the time. The worst response I, I ever get is you say, have you heard about Jesus? And they say, I don't want to talk about politics right now. 
That's the worst. We did that one to ourselves. That is the worst. Um, Here's what I'm getting at. Out those doors, out those doors, um, it's not like Central American mission work out there. Where we share and people have never heard of the name of Jesus before. In fact, out those doors, we have a community who have heard most likely about Jesus. Most likely they've had some experience with church or with Christians or with Easter or Christmas. Most likely they have some familiarity with the gospel. Most likely they have some preformed opinion about what you're about to tell them. Most likely, they've already got a bullet in the chamber for how to respond to you when you share this. Like they, they have a preformed opinion. Most likely, we share the gospel with people who have heard about Christmas and Easter, but for whom the gospel makes no practical difference at all. Like, at all. It's common for us to walk out those doors and to share the gospel with people who have already heard. And so what do we do? If we're not careful, we assume. We assume. We assume they already know. We assume they've already responded. We assume that they are fine and that if they really wanted to know, they would find out. We assume that they are fine without me going to them, putting my neck on the line. We assume that they are okay because of where they were born and who they are around. We assume that they are okay and they are not. Salvation is not by proximity. Salvation is not just found by being familiar with Jesus things or nearness to one of these. Salvation is by faith in Jesus. We cannot assume we must share Jesus with them. This is why it hurts because many of us right now, if we would just stop and we would think we have coworkers, friends, family, people in our life who right now we are assuming that they are fine. They're fine. They're going to be fine. What if we stopped assuming that I'm okay, that we're okay, and that they're all okay? You, um, I was hit with this realization Lord's been working on me with this heavy. Um, you might be the only Christian in their life who did not assume. What if we, what would it look like, church, if we all stopped assuming? What would it look like if we started sharing the gospel? The truth is, is that yes, many of them have heard 
parts and pieces of the gospel, especially the Christmas and Easter parts. That's true. But there are so many who do not see, who do not understand, who do not know Jesus the way that we do, who have never responded. And what if we stopped assuming This text has called out three assumptions. I'm okay, we're okay, they're okay, and I've tried to show you we're not okay (laughs) apart from Jesus. And I don't want you to hear this and think, well, pastor, you're super depressing. Like, thank you for coming to Stone Oak. You're not okay. Um, In fact, what I'm really trying to get is the exact opposite of this. The exact opposite. If you hear nothing else this morning, just please... Please hear this. It's only when you realize you're not okay that the gospel makes sense. That's right. That's right. It's only then. Right. It's only then that we're able to trust him instead of me and us. Because if I'm okay, trust me. But when I know I'm not okay... As we sing, we turn our eyes. We turn our eyes. It's only when we realize that we're not okay that the gospel will transform us. Not only personally, but our church community. So we're no longer some social club that likes to sing and hear motivational speeches. But we are a truly transformed community by the power of the Spirit. It's only when we realize we're not okay that that makes any sense at all. It's only, I'll push it, here's the one that's been hitting me between the eyes. It's only when I realize I'm not okay, we're not okay, and they are not okay, that I will actually go. That I will actually share. What if we stopped assuming? I I realize that the enemy loves our assumptions. Because our assumptions lead us right into complacency. They're deadly. And the Holy Spirit wants to put these assumptions to death every single day. Every day. That I can see the beauty of Jesus we can see the beauty of Jesus, and so that they can see the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, you are doing a work in, I'll speak for myself, in in my heart. And I believe that you're doing a work in us. We just want to sit together in this moment right now under the weight of the conviction of your word. And I want to ask for forgiveness for all of the assumptions that I have made. We as your people together collectively want to ask your forgiveness for the assumptions that we make together that they are okay. 
God, your word has showed us, it has shown us clearly that apart from Jesus, we are not okay. But, by the grace of God, but, because of the love with which you have loved us, while we were dead in our sin, while we are not okay, you send Jesus, who willingly came and who gave himself for us. So Lord, we turn our eyes, we turn our hearts. You are so good. Your love for us is beyond comprehension and description. And I pray that in this room right now that you would continue to do your work through your spirit. Work in us, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you.